A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, you guys, this episode brought to you by The Feed. It's a one-stop shop for the best products in sports nutrition and healthy foods. They curate and handpick the best brands over 100 exclamation mark while creating content to educate you guys about how, what, and when to use them. They also partner with influential brands, athletes, and teams to create pre-configured boxes of athletic nutrition. So if you're kind of sick of what you've been constantly having to eat or fuel on, or if you haven't quite figured it out, or if you have certain brands you like and stuff like that, these are the folks to contact the feed. Go to packfiller.com, click on the feed link. Guess what? You get a free Camelback podium bottle and Scratch Labs Hydration Mix, a $21 value with your order. You're welcome. Just enter the coupon code, all one word, free bottle. That's free bottle. All right? Not a bad deal. Thanks to the feed for coming on board. Now let's go do a podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the podcast that is mad as hell and isn't going to take it anymore. I'll explain that later. I'm Pat Bulger. How are things? You guys, I know that summer is officially here because the tour is underway. I know I don't talk a lot about you know, specifics in racing. We talked to a lot of cyclists who are racers, but we don't, I'm not going to give you guys stage by stage updates. I tried that once. It's stupid. There are people who do it far better than I do. So why would I try to compete with that? That being said, it was a damn good first week, if you ask me. And I'm eating a couple of my words. I'll say it now. Cavendish is being pretty cool. Fuck. Idiot. I really wanted to be mad at him, you know? He took his third stage today. Sorry if that's a spoiler, but if you haven't seen it yet. I, uh, oh yeah. He's doing really well. Shit. (laughs) Sad day for Contador, though. Sad tour for Contador. I don't know if this is going to be his last tour or not. I think, I think it, it is, isn't it? 
I'm pausing for you to answer me and you can't answer me. I think it's his last tour and, and that's not how I had hoped he'd go out. You know, the two crashes, one on each shoulder. Oh, shit, those look like they hurt. Guy needs a Spanish steak right now, if you know what I mean. I hope he can recover and do something impressive. Sorry, I got to move my mic stand here. It's, these new mics are really sensitive. I have to turn off the beer fridge in the background or you guys would hear it. I know. That's the type of commitment I've got to do. What what kind of studio has a beer fridge in it? I don't know. Well, it's it's my house. It's my basement, so fuck you. Okay. I'm speak a tour. Yeah, really sad for Contador. Really really sad for Richie Port because a flat tire. You spend your entire year training for something, preparing for something, devoting your life every single waking moment for something. And then to have a flat tire basically take you out of commission. Man. I'm yeah, and if you saw when the flat happened, I mean, Port just dropped back so fast. I don't know. Maybe, maybe. I mean, there could have been some form of communication available through BMC, heaven forbid, in which they say, Richie's got a flat. Somebody hit the brakes, give him a wheel, give him a bike, and get him back going. Oh, but I don't know. It's easy for me to say because I'm just some douchebag watching it on TV. But, oh, man. And there has to be some kind of technology out there for a tire that doesn't go flat. Are we really in a world where we can't invent a, a lightweight tire that won't go flat? I mean, some sort of a solid material. There's got to be something out there, don't you think? Or is it just like, you know, the auto industry where they only make cars that are going to last as long as the loan because, because tires... Tire companies need to sell you more tires, so they don't want to make a tire that's perfectly invulnerable to flats because you'd never change it out. Well, make the tread wear quicker or something like that. But man, to have your entire tour blown because of a flat tire, that that sucks balls. That really sucks. And, I, you know, I, I heard somebody say, well, you know, he's got a chance. He could still go for stage wins. Yeah, sure, he can still go for stage wins, but... Man, when your team puts all that money into you and you put all your life into something and just to have it go by a flat tire is just, that sucks. That really sucks. I'm recording this on a Thursday. Just finished watching the stage and uh, the Pyrenees start tomorrow. I don't want it to go by too fast. I really don't. I, I love... I, and I, I think I said in the last episode, I always get depressed when the tour's over because it's almost like summer's summer's gone. I know that's really pessimistic of me, but it, it depresses the shit out of me. So I want it. I want it to take its time. I really do. Van, Greg Van Avermaet in yellow. I think he should be for at least a couple more days. I'm going for a Froome versus uh, Quintana prediction for the overall. I think one of those two guys are going to do it. So there. There's my my Tour de France synopsis. Before I get to the interview, interview you guys, um, as I said at the out outset of the show, I'm 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 really pissed off right now. Things are getting out of hand, and I think you guys can probably agree with me if you're involved in this podcast in any way, shape, or form. That means you straddle a top tube at some point in time. You go out onto the roads, even onto the trails, um, seeking your fitness, seeking um, 
relief, seeking um, adventure, seeking all those types of things. I am so tired now of hearing, reading, or seeing stories of cyclist skiing being hit by cars. And, and the mentality that is now associated with that. I don't know if you here in the States saw it or not. Um, Fourth of July was just a couple days ago. Recently saw a story about some asshat in a parade, Fourth of July parade in Ohio with a bike mounted on the hood of his car as if it had been hit, struck by the car. And the legs of, of a dummy sticking out of the roof and a a sign on the side of the vehicle saying, and I'm quoting it, I'll share the road when you follow the rules in a parade. I know, I know the the context of the parade is supposed to be at some sort of um, non-politically correct parade or something like that. I don't know the details of the parade in Ohio, but um, this is just setting off I think a, a, a type of mentality that's going on right now. First of all, to that guy in Ohio, I would like to pr- officially say, fuck you. I guarantee you, sir, when you're out on the, on the roads in your, in your fucking SUV, you're not following the rules. You're probably speeding. You might live in a three-foot passing lane state, and I guarantee you probably don't drive that fucking car close I'm fall enough away, away to uh, to allow cyclists proper passing. Sorry, my phone went off. I, uh, at at what point does every driver follow all of the rules? So your your argument is fucked right there, sir. And then I run into my own issue just two days ago. brutal ride i left the house here god i'm shaking i left the house here a couple days ago for a a, a intense ride we have a great uh, climb up to a ski area right near where i live well it's a 75 mile round trip uh climbing up to the summit of mount spokane here in spokane washington uh the ride takes me over six thousand feet of climbing in 75 miles Absolutely brutal. If you've met me, you've seen that I am not a skinny climber. So it it was literal hell for me, but I need to do it because I need to get some climbing miles in to get to get ready for Leadville. So I did it all by myself. I'm on my way home, coming back through town, not even really in downtown Spokane, but a, a, a section of Spokane. We have our, you know, our districts, so to speak. And um, I have a couple close calls with some cars who are obviously not sharing a lane with me. They're not even, yeah, they, they aren't even moving aside. I mean, the ones that, you, you know what it is. You're out there and you have a car pass by you on, one, on a shoulder and it's normal. They kind of give you a little bit of a room. Uh, of room. They, they make an effort to go around you. And then occasionally there's the car who gets really kind of close and you you just kind of give them a look or shake your head because, you know, if I wasn't paying attention or if I had a little less experience, I probably would have been hit. And then it happened. Is a dump truck. It's one of those dump trucks with another dump truck trailer on it. You know those things? 
the trailer hitch kind of is a long, goes down at an angle. The truck comes by me uh, really close, really close. And I hear the driver yell something. And then before I know it, he has come into my lane. He was, he was in the lane with me. And then he came even more into my lane with that trailer. The trailer was so close to me that I freaked, that I, I, I was convinced I was going to go down. And then on top of it, this truck driver, his asshat, came that close to me and then jammed on his brakes because the light in front of him had turned red. He did. He did all of this shit with the light turning yellow, knowing that he was going to have to stop. I locked up my bike very close to deciding whether or not I was going to go into the curb or a lamppost or the back end of his truck. I got it locked up. I got stopped. I put a foot down and I'm not going to lie. You guys, I lost my shit. I lost it. I'm standing there in the middle of a, of a pretty common business area with both fingers in the air yelling at this guy. I might've used the C word you guys. And, um, that probably wasn't very professional of me, but I, I, my life flashed before my eyes, you guys. And the, the problem is, is I know this was a dump truck of a local concrete company, uh, a company that used to be owned by family friends of mine. And so do I go on my podcast? Do I go on all over the place berating the company? Um, and, and what is, okay, yeah, okay. I had a lot of you guys tell me to call it in. I, I'm, and I, I don't know, without proof. How, are they, how is the company going to know one guy driving down a specific road at a specific time? I, I don't know. Maybe you guys can tell me. Maybe I'm fucking out because I'm not calling and, and yelling at somebody. Boy, did I yell at him there, though. But I, And I really wanted to come alongside the vehicle and start chewing him out right there on the roadside. But where is that going to get me? This guy's probably got, at the very least, some sort of a large tool sitting beside him that he could beat the living shit out of me. I don't fight very well. It's not something I've practiced. And and I'm just some, you know, some shaven dipshit trying to move around in cycling shoes. He'd have kicked my ass. And I don't think he would have learned a fucking thing. Absolute bullshit. This guy... You guys, I got home. I looked up online if about the three feet rule. You know, some of some states, some countries have a rule, a law that says vehicles have to use three feet to pass you. Washington State, where I live, happily, we have a three feet rule. But get this, it only applies to motorcycles passing bicycles. It doesn't apply to cars. And then I read an article in the New York Times and I posted it on my Facebook page, not being about uh, drivers not being prosecuted in a lot of these incidents where cyclists are killed because of their negligence. 
but they're not being prosecuted because they, quote, stay at the scene and don't appear drunk. And this is a horrible tragedy. Let's not make it worse. Are you fucking kidding me? There needs to be some change. This is a huge issue, you guys. I rode away from that incident two days ago thinking to myself, I have a family. I have a life. I have things. If you need to get to the job site, the office, or the mini mart for your cigarettes and diapers sooner, leave earlier, you asshole. And for those of you saying, for the, for the cyclists out there who are breaking the rules, please stop doing it because you're fucking it up for the rest of us. Because these drivers think they can justify their actions because you're out there acting like a complete jackass. Don't break the rules. Be over the top about following the rules. We can't give drivers an excuse to kill us. When you go out there and do something bullshit, when you're riding the wrong way down a road, guess what? That driver's going to get pissed at that cyclist and not have any repercussions. They're not going to be able to get mad at that cyclist. They're going to they're going to hate him, but you know who they're going to get mad at? They're going to get mad at the next cyclist they come across. And that could very well be me. It could very well be you. I, I just I, contact your government, you guys. I'm going to. I, there's got to be a three foot law in the books. Man, it pisses me off. It's also a good segue, actually, into the interview with Ivan. With Ivan, I think I called him Ivan in the introduction, but I think he goes by Ivan Dominguez today. The Cuban Missile, as they refer to him. He posted something recently about this issue, and it has me thinking more and more about it. Let me know your thoughts on this, you guys. I shouldn't have to record every ride on a video camera out of fear of being hit and horribly injured, but I'm thinking I might. I'm thinking I might. At the very least, to have something for my family. I shouldn't have to think about this when I go out for a training ride. I should just be able to go out and ride my bike. It's got me shaking, you guys. And it hasn't gotten any better. This year, it just seems to have grown. What the hell? Oh. Wish I could come to some sort of a conclusion with this, but I don't. I don't think it's going to get any better. We're in this mentality of all for one. I mean, all for me. It's, it's selfish mentality right now. It's it's like a human evolutionary system where people are just looking out for themselves, and that's it. Common courtesy is gone. Maybe I'm just turning into an old asshole. <laughs> All right, off my soapbox. Before I go to the interview, guys. Well, before I go to even to that, share me your thoughts on this. Okay, send me an email on this and 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 see if there's uh, maybe I should talk to Mianski again about how to how do you get these laws onto the books. 
And I don't want to go out there and just be some guy yelling at drivers. That's just going to fuck it up even more. Oh, well, shit. Let me know your thoughts on this. Patrick at backfiller.com. You can contact me through Twitter, Facebook, fucking Instagram. I don't care. All that kind of stuff. I'm on all of it. <sighs> you guys, let's say thanks to Cool Water Bikes. My friend Noah's down there, downtown, trying to do some great things here in Spokane, Washington. Amongst all the driving assholes, he's trying to uh, educate people, get get job skills taught and uh, get kids off the streets. Uh, coolwaterbikes.org. He can't do it just through bike sales alone. He's, he's trying to do it, and he's trying to operate a great charity and a great cause. Um, he needs your help. He needs your donations. He needs your gear. He needs you to come down there and buy, buy something from him. Uh, if you don't live in the area of Spokane, go check out coolwaterbikes.org. See what he's doing all about. I know he's got to go fund me where he's trying to get things going to make make that show that shop uh, sustainable and continue it. And uh, any help you guys could do, um, I'm sure would be a huge help to them. So coolwaterbikes.org. Let's get to Ivan. Ivan, Ivan, I should check with him. Dominguez on the Pack Filler Podcast. All right, guys, today's guest started his career racing for the Cuban national team, earning a Pan Am gold in 1997, and since then has defected to the U.S., quickly became known as, I don't know, I'm going to have to check with him on this one, as the Cuban missile, earning reputation as one of the best sprinters in the domestic scene and in the world. Uh, If it came to a sprint in the U.S., pretty much chances are this guy has won it. Let's welcome to the show the great Ivan Dominguez. How are you, man? Good, good. Thank you. Thank you for having me aboard, too. Yeah, I appreciate it. Pretty nice. Good. Well, hey, I got to say, first of all, for a guy supposedly in retirement, uh, you seem to be pretty darn busy these days. Yes, I actually, I am, yeah. Uh, Between training and uh, I like to stay active. So, you know, I like to uh, do any kind of sport to keep keep me in shape. And then between training and, and coaching people, you know, it's, it gets me busy. Yes. <laughs> well, how are things? Yeah. How are things going in, in the triathlon world for you? Uh, it's going okay. I yeah. would say. You know, I don't do I don't do many races. Um, even even that I'm racing as a professional now uh, in triathlon, I still not doing many races. Once because uh, um, one, I came too late to the sport, yeah. and then I will not say the you know. Uh, um, triathlon, especially the distance that I'm doing, is more for my like, older generation. Okay. Um, but when like that and then coaching people, it, 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 it's really hard for me to kind of stay, uh, to do all the training that I need to get to the races that I want to do. So, um, I mean, but, but it's, it's going good. I really enjoy it and, and I love it. Uh, I, I, I like the sport. I should have start doing it way before but you know i was too busy with cycling so <laughs> well it was yeah. it was it that desire to kind of keep doing and keep something fit or was it something else that kind of prompted that switch to triathlon um do you know uh my first triathlon was back in cuba and i did it racing against a triathlon national team and then since that day i'm talking about like 90 uh 96 maybe 95 oh, okay. and then yeah, since that day, I kind of like it. I follow it a little bit. And then um, after I retired from cycling, uh, from people, my own manager and people that know me, 
uh, and they see all my Strava and things like that. They see that I was always swimming in my season, oh. running in my off season to get ready for my cycling season. Um, then they always kept saying, you should do triathlon, you should do triathlon. And then when I, when I was done with cycling, I took like a year to kind of to relax and I got back to cycling. And I'm like, yeah, I should try some triathlon and see how it goes. And then I jumped in and then I was hooked. I was hooked, you know, from the first time I went to the first one here in the U.S. So that was really? uh, in 2014, yeah. Oh, wow, okay. Well, going from a sprinter to this type of an event has got to be a, a, dif- a different transition because, you know, sprinters usually require on uh, fast twitch muscles mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, was that something that worked out for you pretty quickly or did you have to really focus specifically on gaining that that style mm-hmm. of a body change? Right. I mean, yeah, basically, definitely I have to, I may, I have to make a lot of changes in my training. Um, once I don't ride the bike uh, every day anymore. Yeah, uh, because I have to be always able to sport, especially with running. Um, swimming is the worst for me, uh, but even like that, uh, when you race as a pro, you have to do it because because I'm an athlete and I was always fit and, and things like that. So it's it's not a problem for me to do it. I kind of wow. move in the water, pretty okay for the guy that was not doesn't have a, a swimming background. Yeah. But uh, anyways, you know, so I do swimming three, four times a week and then biking three, four times a week and running almost every day. So definitely I have to do some changes because um, at the triathlon is more on your own. It's more like a time trial event. Yeah. Um, but to be honest, I was never a sprinter. Uh, people give me that name here in U.S. because they saw me winning a few races. But uh, back in Cuba, I was not a sprinter. I was just more like a... Uh, uh, a pursue like 4K individual uh, pursue rider uh, point races, uh, road races with kind of like a rolling terrain. Yeah. But like a pure pure sprint, a sprinter, I was never that guy. But I guess when I came to US, I was riding a little bit faster than everybody on the sprint, and they're like, "You're a sprinter." I'm like, "Yeah, okay, <laughs> well, if you're gonna pay me for that, why not?" <laughs> <laughs> really? Now, the, so it wasn't mm-hmm. an it wasn't a conscious. Uh, position or role that you took up was it but it just seemed to kind of naturally come to you or something like that yes yeah yeah i'm naturally like that i'm not not i have a speed in my legs Uh, i move really quick in the uh, even running i move kind of quick um so i guess it's something natural you know i was never that guy they need to do uh, a million sprints a week to to kind of get to to be ready you know me, I was just like training like a regular road uh, road racing guy, like a stage racing guy. Not like a climber because I was not a climber, uh, but I was pretty close to that kind of training. Yeah, um, I, to be honest, if I practice a spring once a week, I think that was a lot for me because I never did it. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So I got, I guess I got the speed from the track. Okay. From riding with those, uh, you know, spinning at 110, 120 RPM for such a long time, uh, I guess I got that kind of speed built in my, uh, in my background, I guess. And then uh, that helped me to, to move around in cycling here in the U.S. as a sprinter. Well, you, you talk about that switch to to U.S. You're definitely a guy who can handle change. I mean, talk about one of the biggest mm-hmm. ones um, of them all, about your life in Cuba leading up to your decision to, to defect and come to the United States. What was that like, and what? how was that process for you? Right. Um, you know, I came from, the, from a big family. Um, I have uh, 
told my mom, Sai, I have uh, uh, seven, uh, three brothers and three sisters. So that means it's, uh, six, sorry. And then uh, for my dad's size, I have a brother and a sister. So basically, it's a huge family. So, and when they, you're the youngest one, I mean, it, it's kind of like you on your own, you know, <laughs> because yeah. my mom is so busy doing things with everybody that it's like, okay, you know. So, but yeah, it, it can, that kind of helps me to do my own things and not be thinking about, well, if I fell on this, my mom is, I mean, they will be there for sure, but I won't, I will not place myself on counting on them. Uh, I was never that way. I was just going and say, well, if I found this, then, you know, it is what it is. And I would try a different sport, you know? Really? So, and it's the same for me. I put that, I apply the same thing to life. You know, I say, well, you know, the thing, the way I see things here in Cuba, um, we don't make enough money by 25. They said that you can't at all. So I'm like, I should start thinking about defecting somewhere. And then the two places that I picked was uh, Canada and United States. Uh, because nothing against the other countries in Latin America or South America, but I went to other countries uh, traveling as a cyclist and I saw how people live. So I was like, the best choices are Canada and United States. So, and then, uh, so that kind of, you know, it, like you say, I adapt to any place really quick. I don't, uh, if I move to Nebraska and that's the only place I can live, I, I'm like, well, I guess I have to get used to this, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't. I don't see it as a problem. I see it most as an opportunity to move forward. And yeah, but but yeah, you you're right. I adapt to to things really quick, and it doesn't bother me. Yeah. Now, when when you did come to the United States, was it, did you come by yourself? Was your was your family involved, or was it just a? Did you have to sever ties in any way, shape, or form to to become to come to the U.S. No, um, when I came to U.S., uh, I came representing Cuba uh, to yeah. raise um, the Goodwill Games oh, okay. in New York. Yeah, so, yeah, I came to race, and then um, then I had two other teammates uh, with me, uh, a girl and another guy, and then, uh, yeah, so basically I came to race, and then I made the decision when I left Cuba, but back then you cannot actually talk to anyone about it because you don't know who yeah. wants to gain some point with the government and go, hey, I was thinking about about affecting and my career was going to be over. Wow. So basically you make the decision on your own and you don't tell anyone. I talked to my best friend in Cuba. They live next door. Um, but that's about it. You cannot even tell your family because then they, they might react yeah. making like a big scene and then people kind of find out. So basically, yeah, you have to just move on your own and see how it goes. Oh my God, that had that had to have been extremely difficult. I can only imagine to to make that type yeah. of a decision and then and not be able to even inform your your loved ones, your family. Right, right. Yeah, it, it's it's a hard decision, but you know, um, like I say, if I was if I didn't make the decision right now, probably by now I will be sitting somewhere in Cuba doing nothing. Maybe. Yeah maybe even in jail because uh, because you don't make enough money so you're always doing like a side business and things like that to kind of survive so because i was 22 when i defected and okay. yes i was the best writer there uh in that era uh for like five years and then i was always very um uh, uh let me say like uh 
how do you say, like, uh, you know, uh, I was never into it, but doing bad, bad things. Okay. I was, you know, I got into cycling, I got into a national team, and I was very uh, focused in my training and racing and, and win races. Yeah. So I probably had, you know, I, le- I left when I was 22. Maybe if I stay, I stayed in Cuba, I have maybe, I don't know, like five more years, and after that, they kick you out, and then, yeah, that's it. You went on the street. Wow. So, wow. yeah, and, and it happened with a lot of sports. It's not only cycling. I, you, a big example is like the baseball players. Yeah. Why yeah. They, the reason why it's affecting or leaving Cuba in many ways to agencies here in, in Miami is because, uh, I mean, in the United States, because, uh, I mean, they're really good. But if they don't defect or they don't leave Cuba after 30 years, you know, I mean, when yeah. they get turned 30, 35, that's it. Their life is over. They go home with nothing. Wow. And, and ever now since there's been those political changes over there, have you had a chance to, have you had a desire, I guess, to, to go back and to, to see things? Or is that just a, a, a chapter of your life that you're over with? Um, you know, I always, I always wanted to go back. Um, even the United States is my home. Like I told my people, you know, when I travel outside the United States and I coming back here, it's like, man, I'm home. Yeah. Uh, but, it, you know, Cuba is, it's actually my my real home. I don't think I will move back to leave if everything changed completely. Yeah. Uh, but definitely, I want to go back and visit. And then, uh, in seeing all these changes, yes, a lot of people are complaining. But it's more like the old, you know, like the old generation. They lost things against Fidel Castro and things like that. Uh, but for me, I don't see it that way. Uh, for me, I see it like a, this is great that they're opening. You know, it's, yeah. uh, it's great for sports. It's great for people's uh, living style. You know, uh, it was a, it's, a, it's a beautiful country. They just need more resources to kind of keep moving forward. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, definitely, I I, I want to go back. I have a lot of people they ask me that too. Uh, if I want to do some races over there, if I want to organize races over there. Wow. Uh, wow. But I have to be very careful. Yeah, because um, because it's a communist country, and they always it's always someone out there holding uh, uh, how is like a drink like they're like um, they're holding something on you maybe because I defected they still holding that on yeah. them until I get back and they do something to me. Yeah, man, absolutely. Yeah, you never know for sure if it, you know, obviously old habits are going to die hard. So if the country Mm -hmm. just is going through these changes, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden everything's going to suddenly be better. Yeah. Wow. Right, right. And people say, oh, no worry about it. It's no problem. Well, you say because you're there. Yeah, yeah. And you're not in my situation. I defected, and for them, that was a kick right there because the day I defected was the day of the Cuban Revolution. So for wow. them, that was, uh, imagine, the best cycling, the guy that they were trusting to go everywhere for like five or six years. And at the day of the revolution, I defected. I said, for them, that was like Ivan is a traitor. So it yeah. doesn't mean that it's good for me to go. So I have to be very careful how I do that. Wow. God, well, that first of all, to get through that hurdle and and then coming to the U.S. in 80, 1990, 1998, excuse me, to your first pro contract with Saturn um, in 2001, mm-hmm. that's obviously you were, you know, an accomplished cyclist at that point, but that is still a pretty quick rise to, first of all, just mm-hmm. come get settled, become a, a part of, of a different culture, of a different world and things like that. Um, 
Was there an adjustment period or were you able to just jump right into it and, and feel right at home as a member of the domestic pro Peloton? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Yeah, I was um, I was actually kind of lucky uh, to click with those guys. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't have any problem with anyone. I like to be alone with everybody, uh, and that's my my personality. Uh, kind of people adjust to myself really quick, and I do the same thing. Um, but to get into the team in such a short time, yeah, you have to prove that you have good results and that you're a good writer. But you know. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're going to get you right away because I know a lot of guys say, you know, they're really good writers, but they never get into teams because yeah. the way they they are uh, when they race as a team. So I was kind of lucky because a um, few of the guys that were racing in uh, in Super Week back then um, <laughs> from Saturn, they were there at the race and they saw me racing and every single day they were coming to me and say, hey, you ride really good and I like how you respect everybody. You know, kind of like every day was something that they were saying, and I didn't, I didn't speak English back then. But my my um, team director, um, Danny, uh, an American guy, but he speak uh, Hispanic. He was like, "Oh, this guy really like you. They always talk about you and this and that." And then I guess because the way I am, I fit right in. And then they start talking with me with the owner of the team, and then. Uh, Harm Jensen, uh, one of my uh, ex-teammates, he was actually the one who made the move for me to kind of get into the team and arrange everything with the owner and then the meeting and take me to some trials and see how I do it. And then, so to, to be honest, yeah, I was I was very lucky that they were there and they saw me racing because if they were not there, um, I don't remember racing with those guys after that. I only raced against those really? guys at the beginning of the season. And I was really bad in bad shape, and then I saw I saw him again on on July or August. I don't know when the Super Week is going around, and I didn't, you know, I didn't. I was not planning to race any NRC races after that, so I was lucky that they were around huh. and saw me, and they they right away they kind of fell in love with me. Wow! So. Now, yeah. in terms of you, you said they, you know, they kind of looked at you and they said, "Okay, you're going to be a sprinter. This is your role." Um, in your opinion, what does it take to be a sprinter? Obviously, there's specific physical traits that are needed, mm -hmm. but um, there's also a, a very large uh, mental element that is very specific in the mind of a sprinter. Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely, you have to be fast. Um, that's one thing. Uh, you have to be a quick rider to come out of the last turn, and then have that kind of acceleration to jump from like 
uh, I don't know, 29 to like right away to like 42, 43, 44 miles an hour. So yeah. you have to be a fast rider. Not any, not anyone, not many people can do that. Um, I mean, it's a lot of sprints out there, but you know, you cannot turn a climb into a sprint in just one year. No, no. Um, uh, but the other thing, the main thing about sprinting is uh, uh, you have to be a little bit uh, <laughs> out there. You have to be a little bit crazy, I think. Uh, yeah, you cannot be afraid to fight for wheels. You cannot be afraid to get a bump into an old riders. And then um, you cannot be afraid of getting into the last turn, you know, uh, first or second position. Uh, you have to be a little bit aggressive. Uh, if you want to be a sprinter, and then it kind of now that we're talking about that, it kind of just back few months back, I posted something on Facebook. I and, was going to ask you about that. Page. Yeah, yes, and then people went nuts on me, and I'm like, listen, this is what it is. If you don't want to be there, then don't be there. This is this is not going to change. If you want to win races, the only way to do it is no one is going to give you a clean shot to the finish. It's always someone that's going to come to try to take your wheel because it's the fastest wheel for them. Someone is going to try to bump on you to make you tired or to make you lose position. So it's, it's part of the game. You have to be very aggressive. It's not like we want to kill each other. I mean, we try not to, but <laughs> if you want to be there, you have to be that kind of guy. Well, and then one of the guys that was kind of giving me some stuff about it, I'm like, dude, come on. We know each other for many years. Don't tell me that you don't do this when I see you many times. So, you know, yeah. uh, I kind of let it there, but, but definitely you have to be, you have to be very aggressive. Well, I, and, and I, for those are the, those are the listeners who didn't see the video. It was, I mean, it was a, it was a hairy sprint scene. There was, there was all yes. kinds of stuff going on. A lot of bumping, a lot of, yeah. you know, no, no, nothing illegal, but for those right. of us who have not been in that position, it looked absolutely mm -hmm. frightening. It looked horrific. No, it, it, Yes, it is. Trust me, it is. It is. Especially in so in South California, the races are like that. Uh, you don't see this kind of thing much in pro racing. I mean, yeah, you see it, but people kind of, you know, they, they respect a little bit more. But still, when it comes to the U.S. Criterion Championship, if you're not one of those guys, trust me, you're not going to win the race unless you attack two laps to go and you stay away. Um, so... But it, it, it's very, like they say, it's very sketchy. Uh, yeah. it, it's very crazy. But that is the only way if you want to be there. And especially if you're one of those sprinters that are not very um, uh, strong guy, that you depend on other people's will to get to the finish, you definitely have to be a crazy guy to push people out of the way and then get into the holes that you don't you don't think that you're going to fit. Wow. Um, so, and I guess because I came from the track and training kind of like a half a long distance, I was not motioned to that. So I always, I always find a way to get to the finish with uh, strong legs. So I don't need to fight much for it. But I saw a lot of people that were like fighting because they had to. And then I cannot complain because that is part of the game. Okay. I never complain about it. They're like, oh, sorry. that Hey, man, it's okay. I know if you crash me, it was not on purpose. That's why we're here. This is how it is, you know? Wow. So, really, across the board, you can... I mean, I don't know if you could... Did Would you say that to all guys? Well, if you crash me, I know it wasn't on purpose. Sometimes you got a guy doing something absolutely yeah. stupid, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. They, yeah. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. If you're going to find some guys that are trying to push you out of the way for no reason. I have that many times, uh, especially when I was racing in Toyota. 
uh, my best year was 07. So with Sky, they was like, okay, halfway of the season, and there's no way we can beat this guy. We have to kind of uh, bump into him so he gets tired, so he loses uh, uh, his teammates' wheel. So, yeah, I got guys all over the place, but I was because I was training enough to for any kind of situation. I was training, basically all my training was to be in the situation, if I run out of teammates, what do I do? Yeah. I was not depending on them 100%. For my, in my team, I depend on them maybe 30%. The rest, even sometimes I said to the guy, just drop me 1K, 700 meters from the finish, and no worry, I will find my way to the finish. Because really? from there, the speed is so high that if you're not well trained, you will make it. Yeah. So, so I was training always to be on my own, never counting on my teammates because I, you never know. They might crash coming into the last turn and then you on your own and you're like, oh, I don't have teammates. Okay, okay, I guess I'm not going to sprint. Yeah. So when when I'm that way, people find a way to kind of make me tired or they kind of attack and they bump into me too so I can lose my yeah, my teammates' wheel and things like that. So, um, well, yeah, that- but, but again, if we come to the last turn and the guy got into the inside because he wanted to be first in the last turn, of course he's not, he doesn't want to crash, but if he goes down, it's not because he wants me to, he, he don't want to crash me on purpose. It happens, yeah. you know, the, the umpire skip or blow or whatever. It is what it is. I can't, you know. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm very open mind. I don't get too frustrated about those things. And that's when I, when I saw people on Facebook going crazy about it, I'm like, these people, are you really guys know what you're talking about? So I kind of, <laughs> like I say, I'm very open minded. You know, I see things. They push me because they want to get in the wheel. I know what they're doing. Yeah. I know why they want to be there. So uh, I kind of, you know, I, they respect me, um, but you always have someone there. They want to kind of get into that wheel, and then you know why. So it's no reason to fight and start yelling each other because we all know why we're there. We want to get to the finish and win $10,000. Yeah, yeah. So, well, that, having that mentality of, of telling a team that, uh, you know, all I need is somebody to get me there to the last K or something like that, that's got to up your value as a rider i would assume just because you don't mm-hmm. need that huge lead out train i mean i'm sure it would be nice to have that big lead out train right but you don't necessarily it's not necessary for you to be successful right so- right um yeah it's, and it's something they actually it's kind of like a mind game as well to the other riders uh, from different teams because they see me the we're 5k from the finish i'm saying on the radio um uh <laughs> even my team is they're like how can you tell me to slow down where we're like three three kilometers or two kilometers away from the finish, and you're like, relax, slow down. That drives me crazy. That's what they <laughs> told me. But the other people, the other riders, they see that. I'm like, this guy is like sitting here. We're doing 45 miles an hour, and this guy is like, relax. We don't need to go that fast. It's fine. Control it a little bit. So that kind of pain to their head, too. And they're like, I mean, if this guy is saying this right now, what are, you know, what kind of things are we going to expect when we're like 500 meters from the finish? Yeah. So, but it took me to to get to that point in Toyota. It took me about three years to get there because uh, not a lot of riders have that kind of patience. Uh, it took me basically, yeah, like a year and three months or four months to for them to realize that they don't need to worry too much. And it was kind of like a relief for everybody because every time I say, relax, you don't need to go that fast, it's slow down, not now, not now, wait, wait, wait. Really? They're kind of like, oh, he, let's do what he said because he's going to be there. 
Wow. So it kind of takes a lot of pressure out of them. But not everybody do that kind of stuff. I mean, you see in the European races, but here in the U.S., not many riders can do that. Wow. But again, it all comes to my training. I was training to be on my own 100%, never counting on my teammate. But they were also training to help me to get there too. Yeah. So, um, of so, of the teams that you rode for, um, was there were, was there one that was more tailored to your styles, or did you have one that you kind of you you enjoyed more? Or I mean, I don't want to mm-hmm. have you pick on anybody, but uh, you know, at the, of the mm-hmm. teams you rode for, you was there one that really stood out for you? Yeah, I mean, everything that I went there, awesome. You know, I, yeah. I get along with everybody, directors, owner of the team, everybody was fine. But every every team is a little bit different, you know. Um, uh, the way we do Lidao, how many, you know, you're going to have a really good team if the the sponsor is putting a great budget, yeah. you know, because you can get the best riders. So, you know, Toyota was the biggest team, and we have, actually the best riders in the United States in, in also Australians racing for the team so I would say that was uh, the best thing that I ever ride um, nothing against the other guys from different teams we, no. all, have, we all have fun and we won races um, but Toyota was the one with the biggest budget so we got a lot more stronger riders to do different okay. kind of jobs so that team was actually the one that suited me the best yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I do have to say that I think just recently on Facebook, you posted a poster of, of you on for the rock team back in the days and rock racing. That's, mm-hmm. that's had to yeah. have been an, an incredible, uh, just an interesting experience because it seemed like a team that was, I mean, it was appropriately named. Mm-hmm. It was seemed like more of a rock star kind of a concept than, right. than anything else. I mean, was that just uh, right. what kind of experience was that in terms of the normal team setup? Um, you know, uh, I came to the, to rock racing halfway on the season yeah. because I was racing in uh, pro tour in Europe. Yeah. So I got back halfway and then, um, I was going to be there for the whole season, but then I went to Europe and then, uh, Michael Ball, the owner like, if you, if you want to come back one day or whatever, you have a spot here and say, well, I really, really? appreciate that. Wow. So, and back then I have, uh, actually was very little and my wife was here on their own too. So I was like. I cannot do this. And then I was having a hard time to, because um, uh, when I was in Spain, they got me, basically I have no place to live. I was living with some guy, um, a friend of mine actually, we became really good friends, but um, sometime I was sitting there for two months and not knowing what race I was going to do. So I'm like, I don't know what I'm training for. You wow, know? And really? Then, we yeah, and we agree something in the contract not to do the classic because I know I'm not good in that. And then the first thing they do, they send me to the classic. So my phone from there was start going downhill. And then I had few problems with one of the directors, and that's when I called it a day. I said, "Dude, you know I'm too old for this. I respect everybody, so I the same thing. I I I expect the same thing from you guys back to me. If it's not gonna change, then I'm leaving. I, I and." To be honest, I, I didn't want to be there, and they knew about it because I told them before I signed the contract, I don't want to go to Europe now. I wanted to go back five years before, but not now. But and then because I'm close to Fuji, the bike company, yeah. you know, we can agree, okay, you know, I'm going to go because they need someone up there, American, whatever. Um, but yeah, but and then I got back, and then I went to rock racing, and then, you know, I know all those guys. Uh, I know... Uh, they're all, you know, Spanish and Colombians and yeah. Mexican. So I know a lot of those guys personally. 
and I get along very well with them. There are like some of them are close friends, so oh. it's never a problem. But it kind of drives me nuts a few things because uh, was <laughs> not was was a professional team, but a lot of things was were out of control. Really, uh, you know, some things were not on time. Sometimes. They let you know to go to a race when you were training for something else. Oh, really? And, uh, you know, it, yeah, it was really, that's one thing that bothers me when I was there. But, you know, it is what it is. And then you're getting paid to race for the team, so you have to go along with it. Yeah. Um, but I think, I mean, Michael Ball was trying to do a great job. Uh, but I don't think that he got no one to kind of help him with that. So he was more on his own, and he's kind of like a rock star. So he's yeah, well, spending definitely. money and things that he actually don't need, and the team was going away. Yeah, yeah. It it's so, it from the outside, it just seemed like it was like that. I mean, it seems like it was mm-hmm. a rock band on tour kind of a mentality, and the and the look yeah. of the team and everything like that was was definitely something yeah. we hadn't seen. And so I was just wondering yeah. what it would have been like to be like you behind yeah. the scenes in that environment. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, know he, he was trying his best, but at the same company, the, the company, uh, at the same time, the company, uh, Rock on Republic, the guys yeah. where the money was coming uh, for the team, uh, was actually having uh, financial problems because oh. uh, the economy went down and then no one was buying a set of gym for $300, you know? Yeah. So <laughs> and that kind of, yes, and... Rock and Republic was a big company, so when they call a, a meeting between all the shareholders, it's like we got to get rid of the cycling team because we cannot be we cannot keep putting two three million dollars on this. Yeah, and then yeah, and the team went away. But uh, I mean, with that money, you can run a pretty good program for many years. But because he's alone and no one kind of guide him to do things, and things went downhill. Yeah, yeah. So are there are there any races or or of your i mean you cross the line first a ton of times in your career were there any ones mm-hmm. that really kind of stood out for you or where it, it just took that much extras or something that that you're like oh man you know the tour of california stage obviously was a big one and mm-hmm. things like that right right um yeah, yeah definitely tour of california is the one that stayed at the month and the people remain uh remember me from that um I was lucky there was a lot of people watching that day, <laughs> so because they keep talking about it. But um, but yeah, I, I mean every race for me, every race that I won or every race that I lost uh, was was a big deal for me. You know, I don't I don't do any discrimination on racing. Like I always say to people, a, a win is a win. It doesn't matter if yeah. it's uh, the local criterion here that someone is putting, or if you win the stay of the Tour de France. Of course, Tour de France is a big deal, but a win is a win. That's how I see it. Um, but definitely one that really kind of, that's a race that I really love with uh, Philadelphia, but it's not as long anymore. Yeah. Um, but that's a race I actually really love it to do every year. Yeah. So yeah. Um, 2010, you, uh, you retired from, from pro racing. Uh, what prompted that mm-hmm. decision? Was it just, I, was it the travel? Was it, um, you know, contract issues or anything like that? Mm-hmm. It was actually both of them. It was, okay. Uh, one, I was getting, yeah, I was getting tired from traveling and being away uh, from home. Yeah. You know, when you're one of the best riders, they want to use you as much as you can because they're paying enough that they don't want you to sit at home. 
<laughs> unless you're a climber that they have no option because they cannot send you to a criterion with eight turns. They're basically looking for you to get hurt. <laughs> uh, but when it, yeah, but when it comes to a rider like me, they want to use me in every race they can for everything, for to try to win the race or promotion things or whatever. So I was kind of getting tired of traveling and being away and all that kind of things. And then, uh, and the other thing, for I retired in 2010, um, and uh, for after Toyota went away, was always issues trying to find the right contract. Yeah. And a lot of the teams that I, my manager contacted, like, well, oh, he costs too much. Or, no, we can afford him this. I'm like, well, there's a reason why I cost too much. You know, uh, I win races. I win 15, 16, 17 races a year. So not many riders do that. So of course I'm going to cost whatever we ask him. Um, so dealing with that stuff, it kind of, I start losing the motivation because yeah, I'm winning races, but the people they don't want to pay you. Yeah. So I was like, and then I start making a tie and then you don't want to go training and your phone start going away. And then they get to the point you're like, you know what? I don't want to do this anymore. Even Sebastian from, I was in games back then. Sebastian, the director, he's, uh, when I went to Chicago to do a race halfway of the season, he asked me, do you want to continue? Because we kind of talk a little bit. We are really good friends. Yeah. Uh, we've been talking for weeks about that. I and mean, when I got there, we sat down um, somewhere. I don't, I don't remember the name of the restaurant. We kind of talk about it. I said, man, you know what? Get an old guy because I'm really tired of this. And he, he wanted me to continue, but he didn't want to put any pressure on me. It's like, wow. if you want to continue, I have a spot for you any day. But you have to let me know now because now is the time that I'm dealing with all this contract with uh, James and all that kind of okay. uh, all those kind of sponsors. So you need to make sure that I'm there so that he can use my name and things like that. Um, but I was too tired. I would say, you know what? Just getting all right, man. I, I'm tired of this. I, I I have to I have to stop. I cannot do this anymore. Wow. And then I'm uh, yeah I'm the kind of person. If they pay me well, I will feel bad racing and not bringing results yeah so i'm not that kind of writer you know if you're going to pay me at least i have to bring results you know uh if i'm not going to bring that i feel like i'm using them yeah it's it's these are so many parts of the of the of the pro experience that a lot of us mm -hmm. uh, quote unquote normal people don't understand where you're not mm -hmm. only having to keep up with the racing yeah. you're having to keep up with training you're yeah. having to keep up with contract negotiations traveling yeah, especially yeah. when you have a family i mean a lot of this just rips you mm -hmm. apart right right no trust me when i got back from europe i i i know nay people I, i'm not gonna say name but no. i know a lot of people even even i read it in in some of the forums someone sent me a link people talking bad about it like oh this guy went there the best here he didn't do anything there. and then i i kind of went through all the comments and i read a few comments like people say you guys have no idea what the guy went through do you guys know like if he was having a good time over there yeah. do you guys know if he really wanted to be there and i didn't comment it because i don't want to get into that kind of argument but i start reading i'm like and it's the same, the same thing with what's happening now, which when people, I mean, it's not the same thing, but, you know, so much they got bust in, right away they dump it on the dishes. Yeah. Oh, he's an idiot, and this and that. And yeah, I understand everybody has their own opinion, but it's like, okay, can you just leave it alone, you know? Yeah. But no, they just go on media and they start talking. And then I read a few comments, people saying, oh, he went there and he didn't do 
anything, and I'm kind of putting me in the bad spot, and then they have no idea what really happened. They say, oh, he quit. He quit when I was when he was in Europe. That's why he came here because he came with a tail between the legs. Um, but I I never I never actually when I got back and I got a few interviews about it why I got back. I basically put everything on myself and I never say what really happened. Uh, and what really happened was actually ugly, but because I respect Fuji yeah. and the people that work for Fuji, I never talk about it. Um, so yeah, that was one of the things that makes the decision for me to get back from from Europe because a uh, uh, few things that happened over there with uh, one of the directors. And like I say, I told the guy, hey, I'm too old for this. Let's stop right here before we get to something yeah. a lot bigger and bring more problems. Uh, but I never explain it in any interview. So I just let the people talk, you know, I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. I just put it behind and then keep moving forward. But yeah, so, not many people know what really happened over there and what makes me come back. So but people keep talking about it. So. It's got to be so hard because I, you know, I see how social media and, and these types mm -hmm. of things makes it so easy for somebody to just be a complete dick on the other side mm -hmm. of, of yeah. the world and say something quick and mean and and it might be completely mm -hmm. unsubstantiated um you have a, a a presence on social media uh out there i've, I've seen your website and things like that mm -hmm. it, do you find people baiting you and trying to bring you into some of these discussions well i especially you posted uh, the poster <laughs> about rock racing and you were like this is mike this is a cool poster please keep your your mm -hmm. asshole comments to yourself and you had right. to say that right yeah, yeah, that's why I say because I know some people wanted to drag me that way in that direction, and then I just put it there before someone do it. And yeah. even like that, you still get someone say, oh, this thing was better, trying to kind of initiate something, oh, but God. I just click like, and I keep moving forward. I keep scrolling down. Because, yeah. uh, uh, you know, my wife, she, she, she's on sales, so she do a lot of digital stuff. So she know how media works okay. and how athletes are. And then she know all that data, all that kind of stuff. So she's like, don't get into discussion with these people. You know, you don't know who they are. Just be careful with what you post. Like sometimes I post something and right away I get a text from her, delete that. Just don't post that. Yeah. Right away, right away. Because she knows that people can drag me to the dish right away. Wow. So, Yeah. So, and, but yeah, like you say, people, some people, sometimes I get tags in, uh, on Facebook. Yeah. Someone say, Ivan, what do you think about this? And they're talking about someone they got doper, they was my team, or I'm like, why are you tagging me? Yeah. If you want to ask me, call me or send me a private message. Why are you tagging me? To give my opinion in front of everybody and from there start a fight, a keyboard behind the keyboard fight. Yeah. Don't yeah. tag me. I mean, and I basically, I have to tell people, send the private message, say, hey, don't talk me on this track, you know. If the guy got cut, it's not my problem. He was my teammate. I like the guy. Whatever he did, it's on his own. I got nothing to do. Don't, don't talk me to drag me in this thing and put him in, put him, put him myself in a bad spot. Um, but, yeah, I get that a lot. It's unreal how people are. But, you know, I just kind of like go and I reply and I say, oh, sorry, man, I understand. I understand. I say, good. We're still friends. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, good. yeah. Oh, yeah. You have no idea. And that's me. I cannot imagine when it's like Lance and those oh. guys. Yeah, whatever he did was terrible, but, you know, it's not my problem. Yeah. Yeah. It hurts cycling. It hurts cycling badly, but what can I do? You know, oh. I'm not going to go behind the, uh, after the guy saying, you were jackass. And he, it's not my problem. I'm not that way. Whatever he did, too, he's, he's going to deal with that for the rest of his life, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. So, yeah. And and they it's it's almost like they want to keep dragging into it and and dragging uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the the riders into it. Where do you think we mm-hmm. are in terms of, of of pro cycling? Here this this episode is going to post the tour will have been uh, have has already started once this show actually posts. Um what are your thoughts okay. on the tour and and how professional cycling is going right now? What the status of it, I guess we could say. Uh you know, cycling has been getting very uh, even um, in terms of riders' uh, level of riding. Yeah, I, I like it the way it is right now because it's more. Um, you don't see those crazy ten minutes gap, or you know, yeah, in the DC. So it's more right now because the testing that's going around is very strict. So you see the competition is more out there. Um, I mean, I like when it's racing. I, you know, I like all the races in the past. I enjoy watching it. Uh, yeah. But now you see there's more people getting into the line, more climbers uh, coming to the hills together. So that's one thing that I like because you see more of the competition. You always have a have, you're gonna have a guy that's gonna stand no matter what. Every year, some new guy will come, or every two three years. Like right now, we have Sagan. Yeah, there's no one can stop that guy. He can do whatever he wants, you know. So every few years, you're gonna get a guy like that, and people are gonna talk. Oh, he's doping. Can he's getting taxi and off and this like this? You gotta <laughs> look the history. Every year you get, every few years you get some crazy guy coming that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the tour should be really good this year. I can't wait to start watching it. You know, I kind of follow follow California a little bit because it gives you an idea how riders will be for. Uh, for the tour and then the Giro and then uh, Paris Nice, all those races. So yeah, we'll see how that goes. Got now it. I'm seeing a lot of Quintana yeah. posting, uh, saying that he's ready to win the tour. So I'm like, okay, well, we'll see what happens. You know. <laughs> so, it, but it, uh, cycling. Mm-hmm. Any predictions? Ah, uh, <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I, the way I see Froome riding, yeah. you know. You, you get those guys preparing themselves for the tour. Even if you see in the riding like two months before they're riding like crap in one of the races, you can underestimate it because they're just getting ready for the tour. Yeah. You know? So I believe I don't know, I think a Froome can can make can do some damages there. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Quintana yeah, I have to see. I mean, he he's a great rider and I would love to see him win, especially for the Latin Americans and you know yeah. Um, but I don't think he's strong enough to deal in the time trial with uh, Froome and those guys. Wow. You know, yeah. Okay. So we'll see. We'll see. Um, Now, let's switch gears here as we're getting towards the tail end here. Tell me about um, what you've been doing with your coaching and and how that operates and what kind of athletes you work with. Um, Yeah, that is going great, actually. I didn't expect to to grow up so quick. Um, I I work with a group of coaches. Uh, Chris Bag is a friend. Uh, he's also a professional triathlete. He was a cyclist before, but uh, I think he made it to Cat One or something like that. But then he jumped into triathlon. And then um, when I started doing triathlons, um, to what Inc. because they make my kids. Uh, uh, they told me if you want to do some coaching, you should talk to this guy. He can hook you okay. up, and you know he do a lot of promotion and stuff like that. So. I kind of talked to her. We talked on the phone for like 45 minutes or something like that. And then and then I was kind of like, I did coaching back when I was racing. And I get to the point that I have like 11, 12 riders. But I was too busy racing. They didn't have much time to deal with the athletes. So I kind of call it a day. Yeah. 
but now that I have a little more time to do those things, I was like, uh, maybe we'll see. I'm not much into the internet coaching, but I know everybody, you know, people live in different places, so there's nothing I can do. Um, so he told me, no, I mean, this is easy. We use training peaks and then you follow there and then you call the people as many times you want or whatever you say you want to talk to people or whatever and the writers. And then I'm like, oh, okay, sure, why not? And then right away in like two months, I think I have like six or seven writers. I'm like, holy cow. <laughs> okay, well, I guess, <laughs> yeah. People start emailing me on Facebook and then asking me for my phone number to call me. And then I got a few guys here in Vegas um, that I take writing sometimes and, you know, they start passing the voice. And then, But I deal with any kind of writer. Okay. From pro writers to, to beginners. I like to work with beginners more uh, because sometimes the pro writers are like, oh, well, why do I need to do this? I'm like, <laughs> well, you call me to coach you, right? So yeah. are you going to be one of those guys now? <laughs> <laughs> so beginners, yeah, for me, beginners is a lot easier to train um, because uh, it's basically they're like kids. You have to teach it from the beginning. Yeah. about everything and that's what i like i like to especially if they live close by i like to give them the tips like you know don't grab the handlebars like this you should turn like this try okay. to pedal like that and i kind of look at the position and and that's what i really really like um but yeah i do triathlon coaching and then uh cycling coaching as well okay yeah so if, mm-hmm. if but I, I really like it that's if somebody were to try, you know, and you're saying they can get a hold of you, how how would they find you? How can they track you down? Uh, normally, I do everything. Well, once they can uh, uh, go on my website, uh, ivanslatdominguez.com. And then the other one is um, if they're following me on Facebook, because I always do some posting on my fan page, Ivan Dominguez, um, they can always track me there. Um, but yeah through my website or Facebook or uh, sometimes to Chris back website because he keeps posting updates and things like that. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, a lot of the people, they, a lot of the people that I'm coaching, they're all like Facebook fans and you yeah. know, when they see the link, they start sending me emails and then they pass it along and goes like that. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, so what's next for you? Where are you headed? Are you, this is obviously the thick of triathlon season. Are you doing, are you doing some big mm-hmm. races this year? Um, I was planning on doing, uh, I was actually training, um, building a really good training for, uh, to go to do a Vitamin full Ironman, uh, this coming months on the 30. Okay. But, and then I got sick and now it's when I, this week actually has been kind of sloppy as well because, uh, I'm still a little bit like congested. Okay. So for the last two weeks, the training has been going downhill because I got sick and I spent a week trying to recover and then now. This is the second week that I'm kind of getting back to it. So, and I don't mean, and it's something that you cannot be playing around, you know. It's, yeah. If I say half, okay, yeah, half is four-hour race, 4.30 maximum, then you're fine. But a full Ironman, man, you cannot be going kind of like half-half. You have to go ready, very prepared to do it. Uh, but and then at the same time, we're planning to go to Panama on the same day. So I'm like, if we don't go to Panama for vacation, then I might jump on the race. But because I got sick, I don't think I will do it. So... I basically just put it on the side. I'm like, you know, I, I'm not going to do it. Yeah. And if we go to Panama for vacation, we go there. And then, um, so basically my next race, it will be probably like two months from now. Maybe, yeah, like eight weeks from now. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, well, yeah. And, well, and it's going to be a full item. It, it might be a 
Chattanooga full Ironman. It's oh, at wow. Tennessee. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, first of all, I got to thank you for your time. But and but before I go, go, I do have to say that I did see a video you posted on Facebook the other day in regards to this the constant uptick we're having with cars versus bikes issues. We're having yeah. auto accidents and yes. and people getting hit and stuff like that. And I I wanted to praise you on how you presented that video. You talked to it to, in terms of yes, we do have a problem with cars. Um, uh, cars mm-hmm. need to understand that that we're people and we have somebody to come home to and, and things right. like that. But, and, but also you put something on the cyclist and I, I, I liked how you yes. approach that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you know, we ride bikes, so we have any kind of riders up there, you, you know, yeah. you and I, a lot of people know how it goes. So I don't want to put it all, all into drivers. I know it's a lot of bad drivers in up there they're not paying attention or they just don't like cyclists on the road. Even yeah. if they have a bike lane, they just want to pass as close as they can to the rider to scare him. And not even thinking about what can happen next, if they can end on jail or something like that. In that moment, they're not thinking about that. But I don't want to put it all into the driving because I know it's also a lot of responsible drivers up there. But I know, and that's why I went to the cycling because I know a lot of cyclists, yeah. they're hard hit, man. They're hard hit. You know, they're like, I'm going to take the whole lane because it's a sign that says that you can take the whole lane. But there's no reason for that. Yeah. You're just looking for trouble. You know, these people are leaving work to get home. They don't have, right at that point, at 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the afternoon, people's tolerance is not the same as the one at uh, 7 o'clock in the morning. You no. know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. By, say, by 6 o'clock, they're tired. They might get into a fight with the owner of the company, their, jo- their boss. They might get fired, and whatever they see, they want to kill whatever is in front of them. So why you want to take the whole lane? Just let it, you know, move to the side. And they blow a stop sign, realize, and then so I have to go into the cycling suit because I know a lot of guys are like bad. They're bad riders. Yeah. And, they, and they're it, just troublemaker. And we're never going to, uh, as a cyclist, you're honestly never going to leave an altercation with a car uh, victorious. Yeah. It, 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 that is never going to happen. You're not you're never going to, like one of the guys I think commented, you never will, you, not, you will never see a driver that hit a cyclist and the driver's in the, hosp- in the hospital e- bed. Exactly. And, yeah, the driver. Yeah. You, it's not going to happen. That's what I told people. Guys, no matter what the situation is, if, he was the one he, that was the driver's fault you're not going to win no. it's a 3,000 pound metal thing hitting a bike that's only 15 pounds yeah. with you on top Yeah. right so you're not going to win just let it be like I said I learned the hard way uh, even though it was not my fault the guy threw the huge truck on me and then we caught it at the traffic light and then I, I almost got run over by the guy he dropped against the traffic trying to run me over and people have to stop him, all the drivers. And then, wow. uh, yeah, the guy had the guy had like a big fine, and he was actually a troublemaker. But I kind of that when I sit in the police car because my my bike was all destroyed. The police car, the policeman would say, you know, I know that's not your fault because everybody that was there, all the other drivers, told me about it. But you're never gonna win against a car, man, especially that huge truck. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And you, he's, he was very clear to say. You can do whatever you want after I drop you in your house, but I'm going to tell you right now, if you really care for your life, don't go against against the drivers because you will never win. Yeah. Just let it be. Wait. And then that kind of sit in my head. I'm like, he's right. Yeah. You know, and then, so. 
it's just and that's what I want people to understand. It's it, it, cycling is a very specific sport that has to deal with this type of a situation. Our pastime yes. is out in a very mm-hmm. dangerous environment, and and yes. we got to be able to come home to our wife and kids or something. Yeah. You know? True, true, God. true. Yeah, and then every time you read something about it, like think yesterday or two days ago, in thirteen years, kid. Yeah, got killed. Someone, no, I don't know. Someone told me about. It. I'm like, wow. Yeah, yeah. So, it's, but it's, yeah, I don't know. It's it's scary. I don't know if we're just getting more because with social mm-hmm. media, we're reading more about it and we're hearing more about it. I hope it's that, and right. I hope that there's not some sort of a freakish uptick in people taking out cyclists because. That's, right, right. Yeah, I don't want to think about that. Right. So. Well, yeah, yeah. well, thanks for your time, man. I, I really am glad I finally sure. got to catch up with you and have you on the show. You've got a cool perspective. And um, for people who want to get, talk to you about potential coaching, they can get a hold of you. So that's that. That's a yeah. great deal. So awesome, man. Thanks again. Good, good. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. Good luck with everything there. Thanks. So there you are, Ivan Dominguez. Great guy. Still, still hammering it out, even though he's uh, he's added in a, a swim and a run, but he's still he's still mixing it up with the cyclists out there. So, uh, good chat with him. Oh, you guys, that ends another podcast episode. Uh, Tour de France week two will be well underway by the time I talk to you next. Uh, let's see what happens in the mountains. It's going to get exciting. Already is exciting. It's not a bad tour so far. Seems like you know. We got a level playing field, um, you know. I don't know, maybe you know. I don't want to get into the whole doping thing, but either either doping's going away or they're all doing the same stuff. So <laughs> either way, it's exciting. Um, what was I? What do I always sign off with? Uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Rank the podcast on iTunes. Uh, send me your thoughts on what I rambled about on my soapbox in the opening of the show. About cars versus bikes. It shouldn't be cars versus bikes. It should be cars along with, in harmony with, flowing together with bikes. Um, and uh, and and tell me what you think. Tell me what you think. How we're going to fix this. How we're going to make everybody work together. How we're going to all just get along. All right. Stay safe out there, you guys. It's not worth it. You're never going to win that that argument with a vehicle. Stay safe. And and what kills me is that we're going to have to be out there. We're going to have to assume every driver can't see us. We're going to have to assume that every driver is angry at us, uh, methed out, and has a screaming kid in the back and are texting at the same time. We're just going to have to do it for the while. And follow the rules, guys. Let's follow the rules. We'll talk to you next week. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. 
Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.